0: Saints, we are thankful to the Lord for his grace and for his mercy and for his goodness in each of our lives and the privilege and the blessing that he has given us to worship together, to receive his word together on this Lord's Day. God is good. And I don't know about you, but I can certainly speak for myself. I am glad. I am glad about it. No matter what has happened or is happening now, or what will happen. God is good and I'm glad about it. And I'm sure you are too if you are here worshiping with us today. We thank the Lord for all of his goodness and his grace to us. And thankful for each one of you today as we are gathered together to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Today, I just wanna take a few moments Precious moments, but powerful moments because of the presence of God's grace and goodness with us today. To remind us of that which we already know, but need to be reminded of from time to time on this journey. Now, today, as you know, is the final Sunday of 2021. And I think that we can all agree in saying that 2021 has been an eventful year, just as we were able to say at the end of 2020, that it was also an eventful year. A year that when we were at this time in 2020, not sure what to expect would happen, and yet when 2021 came uh, into existence, it would be what has been now an unforgettable year. As we know, things happened that no one could have anticipated, just as in the year 2020. And I have no doubt that there will be many things that will happen in the upcoming year 2022 that nobody could possibly have predicted except God, who doesn't have to predict anything for God knows everything. God's knowledge is perfect. It is comprehensive. It is eternal. God knows. You know, whenever you say the word, God knows. In those two words, you are speaking a library of truth and theology about God. God knows. He knows the past and everything about the past that is to be known. Everything about the present and everything that is to be known about it. And everything about the future and everything that is to be known about the future. God knows. And not only does he know, he is providential, he is powerful. He is omnipotent and he reigns. God is sovereign, past, present, and future. It reminds me of what the the scripture tells us, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, the the son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For there is no need for change or transition in God, as we all know. So not only is God sovereign over the future, but he is also sovereign over the present, and he is sovereign over the past. And now that we are at the final Sunday and the final days of 2021, One of the things that we need to be reminded of as Christians is making peace with the past. Making peace with the past. Now, the way to make peace with the past is through peace with God. For peace with God brings peace within as well as peace with others, you see. Peace with God, peace within, peace with others. But making peace with the past, making peace with our past, and even being able to make peace with what has happened over the course of this past year, which I know for each of one of us has been an eventful year in our personal lives. So brothers and sisters, I want to direct us this morning to Philippians chapter three, verses 13 and 14, so that we might be reminded again, as we need to be reminded periodically, what the word of God says to us about making peace with the past, putting the past in its proper perspective and dealing with it and, Having the right perspective on the past, because that's what it means to make peace with our past, peace with the past, you see, and to put the past in its proper place. Now, as you may be turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, let me say this. One of the biggest lessons that we have learned and witnessed uh, in the recent past is the inability for so many people to deal rightly with the past, especially here in our country. There are many, many people, as we have come to see, who are having trouble with the past. Trouble with their past and trouble with this nation's past. Trouble facing up to the realities of the past. Struggling to face up to the realities of what has been done in the past by many of us. The past uh, has found a way to regurgitate itself back up in the worst kind of way in recent times in our country with the resurgence of the ugly, some of the ugliest forms of white supremacy and racism in America and all of the lying and denying. And well, it's clear that our nation as a collective whole has failed repeatedly in the past to deal with its past the way a people should deal with the problems and the realities and the atrocities and the deeds of the past. And that is the reason why we as a nation still struggle We are a nation that has operated this way, facing forward and looking forward and ignoring uh, the past rather than putting the past in its proper perspective and doing that which is right and assuming that the deeds that have been done in the past just somehow or another vanish into non-existence and that we just keep moving forward, but only to find out at various intervals throughout history and even down to the present day, that the past keeps coming back up again when you don't deal with it the way you're supposed to, the way scripture teaches us to, the way God would have not only individuals to do, but nations also. For God is not only sovereign over individual souls, but God is sovereign over nations, nations will answer to God, nations of people will answer to God just as individual people will answer to God. And by the way, let me remind us that all you need to do is read Revelation chapters two and three to discover that churches, churches, congregations of people will also answer to the Lord just as individuals will answer to the Lord making peace with the past. It's important. In fact, it's essential to moving forward. It's essential to going forward. It's essential to progress, although too many people uh, don't seem to believe that. And so even in too many people's individual lives, because, because we fail to deal with things as we should, they can have a way of coming back up on us again and sometimes in the worst way and at the worst time. But God would not have us to be plagued by the past. God would have us to make peace with the past through him and through his grace and by virtue of his grace and mercy. You see, in Philippians chapter three, verses 13 and 14 from the, NIV read as follows: Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward <clears throat> I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the NIV 84 version translation of this verse. But as you can see, reading verse, uh, beginning at verse 13, where Paul says their brothers, uh, and he's speaking, he's writing to the church. Brothers and sisters, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. What is he talking about? Well, here's what we need to do because let us always be reminded that the context is key to understanding anything. The context is key to understanding anything, whether it's literature or whether it's situations or circumstances. Context is key to a right understanding. So go back with me to verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. You see, that's what we're doing today, brothers and sisters. I know Philippians three thirteen and 14 is familiar to many of us, if not all of us, But it, but it's but it's, it's a good thing for us to go over it again, and it's a safeguard for our souls. Watch out, verse 2, for those dogs, <laughs> those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. You see what Paul Here is writing to safeguard the believers at Philippi from is a works-based righteousness that some who claimed to be Christians had infused into the theology of the gospel and therefore had corrupted the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. For salvation is found in Christ and in the work of Christ. The person of Christ and the work of Christ, and nothing else, and no one else, salvation is found in the person and the work of Christ, and no one else and nothing else. We are justified to use that salvation language that Paul uses in the Book of Romans. We are just about justified by faith and justified by faith alone. Without any meritorious works on our part, no amount of a correct observance of the laws of Moses will bring salvation. That salvation is found in no one else and nothing else except Jesus Christ and his accomplishment of perfectly fulfilling the law of Moses. You see, too many here had attached circumcision to salvation by saying that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And that you had to be circumcised and then observe all of the Jewish laws and rules and regulations in order to be a Christian. Which was completely and utterly false. A corruption of the gospel, and Paul writes the believers at Philippi here in order to make sure that their souls are safeguarded from this sinister departure from the truth of the gospel. Writing not only to Jewish believers, but also non-Jewish believers here. So here he continues, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. And so what he does now is he he does a parenthesis. He, he parenthetically uh, uh, digresses here, if you will, to say if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, putting confidence in the flesh would be saying that in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, you've got to be circumcised and observe all of the law of Moses to do. To be saved, that would be putting confidence in the flesh, not confidence and faith in Christ and him alone, in the accomplishment of Christ, not in our accomplishments for salvation. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Here, Paul gives his resume, his spiritual resume, his theological resume right here, his cultural resume right here. I have more reasons, he says, than anybody else to put confidence in the flesh. If we're talking about putting the confidence in putting confidence in the flesh for salvation. What does he mean here? I was circumcised on the eighth day, meeting the demands of the law. I'm of the people of Israel, he says. Not only am I of the people of Israel, I belong to the tribe of Benjamin. And if anybody remembers the significance of the tribe of Benjamin, then you remember that though the tribe of Benjamin was the smallest tribe, Benjamin was the tribe out of which the first king of Israel came, Saul, King Saul after whom Paul was named. You may remember that before the Lord saved Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus.
1: And he would later change his name to Paul. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Someone interpreted uh, this from the words of Paul saying, I'm a super Jew. In regard to the law, A Pharisee,
0: enough said. Anybody reading this would understand immediately. Well, how did Paul conduct himself with regard to the law? A Pharisee, enough said. That answered it for everybody. That meant that he observed the law strictly. As for zeal, was he zealous for the Lord? Persecuting the church. Persecuting the church. Was he zealous? He was so zealous that he persecuted Christian believers and saw to the executions of many of them. What about in the area of legalistic righteousness? The observance of the law, faultless. Now, what does he have to say about his resume of the past? Verse seven, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Wow. Everything that he just cited in his resume. When you take it and you tally it up in accounting terms according to verse seven, everything that I considered profit, I now consider loss what is more in other words he doesn't stop there what is more i consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing christ jesus my lord for whose sake i have lost all things not only does he not only does he consider everything loss not only has he given up everything but he goes on to say, I consider them rubbish. Some older
1: translations read dung, manure
0: is what he means by it. rubbish. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, and is by faith. And he doesn't say faith uh, with an addition of any kind of works or legalistic righteousness. It's by faith in Christ alone. I love that beautiful worship song that says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my all this cornerstone, this solid ground, Christ alone, by faith in him alone. I want to know Christ. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, brothers and sisters. Listen, this is the context to what we're talking about here today from verses 13 and 14 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, and so should we like the great apostle, say, I want to know Christ. Forget all of this other stuff. See, we spend all of our time worrying about the material things of this world. But Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, to seek God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added. But these things should not be our top and foremost priorities in life because the Lord has already said that he will take care of us and provide for our needs. Matthew chapter six. Paul here is not worried about his resume from the past. He is not trying to lean and live on that past resume. He wants a whole new resume with God, and a whole new resume is spelled out this way. One word, Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that at the heart and the soul and the center of the Christian life is the cross of Christ. And at the center of the cross is suffering. Too many of us, as Christians, you know, we we're baffled by suffering. As if somehow another suffering is is we're supposed to be immune from suffering somehow. Or that God is supposed to protect us from uh, suffering. Yes, God does protect us from things being uh, from things always being as bad as they possibly could be. But suffering actually is a reality of the Christian life and the Christian journey in this world. And Paul recognizes it right here in the very heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are going to be like him, then we are going to suffer in this life and in this world. And we're going to experience all kinds of suffering, not just physical suffering, not just health suffering, but all kinds of suffering, as our Lord did in his living and in his dying on the cross, you see, brothers and sisters. But Paul goes on, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. The implication here, of course, is no, I haven't. But I press on, he says, verse 12, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. To grasp that for which I have been grasped by Christ. To apprehend that for which I have been apprehended by Christ. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. I have not arrived to the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. I have not arrived yet to the height of the sufferings of Christ in my life. I have not arrived to the height of being crucified as Christ has been crucified and suffered as Christ has suffered so that I might be rewarded with the resurrection. And he's not talking about a works righteousness or a works salvation. He's, just, he's saying after, now that I have been saved, that I have not reached The height and the end of all of the suffering and all that I have to endure to be like him. To apprehend being like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I I have not, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, to have apprehended it, but one thing I do. One thing I do, Paul recognizes his priorities here. He knows what his priorities are. We as Christians should not forget our priorities, no matter how hard things get in life and no matter why they go bad and what happens and who does what. We must never forget what must be our priority in Christ Jesus. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Stop right there for just a moment. When the Bible talks about forgetting, it's not talking about amnesia. Paul isn't talking about amnesia here. What he's talking about is he's talking about putting the past in its proper perspective. No matter what has happened, no matter who has done it, no matter if you did it, no matter what has been done, putting the past in its proper perspective. Is what the scripture, the word of God, God himself is teaching us as Christians to do each and every day in our journey with the Lord. Paul captures this in these profoundly and eloquently spoken words, forgetting what lies behind. In other words, putting the past. In the past. The problem with too many of us is that we misplaced the past. Instead of putting the past in the past, we have put the past in our present. And we have made the past our present. Now, of course, the past is context to to the present. The past is prologue to the present. Yes, I understand that. But you cannot live in the past. We cannot live in the past. And we cannot allow the past to dictate the present in such a way that it paralyzes us in the present and
1: paralyzes us for the future.
0: Putting the past in the past does not mean having amnesia about the past. Putting the past in the past means putting it in its proper place and in its proper perspective. Leaving the past in the past, but carrying with us into the present important lessons learned from the past. The most important thing you can do with the past Is learn from it, not live in it in the present. Too many of us live in the past in the present.
1: Too many of us live as though the past is the present.
0: Back to what I said at the beginning of the message, just to bring home this important point of practical application to the country in which we live. Too many people live or want to live as though the past is the present. That's what they meant by make America great again. (laughs) They want the past in the present. Too many, too many. The past in the present, the way things used to be in the present because things have changed now. The landscape has changed. The demographics Uh, of the country have changed. So many other things culturally have changed now. We want the past, too many are saying. We want to go back to the way things were. We want to go back to that which we always known, that which we enjoyed, that which kept us on top, that which allowed us to dominate, that which allowed us to be in control, that which allowed us to hold all of the levers of power. We want the past. We want to be made great again.
1: Great again against those who are not like us, who do not look like us, who do not have the same skin color. You see, too many people want the past to rule the present.
0: When God's word says that we need to put the past where the past belongs, in the past, and learn lessons from the past. And because our country is so often lacking when it comes to learning from its past, people wind up attempting to repeat the past. That old proverb is true. Those who forget the past are condemned to repeat it. That's how you know that Paul here in Scripture is not talking about forgetting in terms of amnesia. No, no, no. This is forgetting in the sense of putting the past in the past, living in the present, and learning from the lessons of the past as you move forward in the present and forward into the future. Forgetting what is behind, what is Paul doing here? Listen, he didn't have amnesia. He remembered what his past resume was because he recounts it right here. So he cannot be talking about forgetting in a literal sense, again, as, of, as, as if it were some sort of amnesia. No, no, no. He's talking about forgetting in the sense of putting the past where it belongs and moving on from it and from the lessons that are to be learned from it so as to not go back that way again. You know what? Listen, here's the deal. No matter what you do, and no matter what your mind tells you, no matter what you think, no one can go back into the past except God. Only God could go back into the past. Only God can deal with the past in a way that we never could. No human being can literally turn around and go backwards in time. That's not reality. That's not the way life works, brothers and sisters. That's not the way things are. And the fact that you are living in the present is living testimony that you were not meant to live in the past. Because if you were meant to live in the past, then not only would you have lived in the past, but you would have died in the past. And you yourself by now would be history if you were meant to live in the past. But since you are alive in the present, you are not meant to live in the past.
1: Putting the past in its proper perspective. Putting that which is behind Behind, you
0: see. Forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, Paul the Apostle, so eloquently instructs us here in Scripture. Putting the past in its proper perspective is how we are able to make peace with the past, my friend, and how you are able to make peace with the past in your life as a Christian believer. You're able to, listen, God has given more than enough grace and mercy and peace for us to make peace with the past, to make peace with our past, you see. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel.
1: You know, when I think about
0: What God's word here says about the past is not as though the past isn't important or that we should treat it as though it's unimportant. Absolutely not. No, the past should become a classroom for us, a classroom for our minds and our hearts. From the past, we learn how to proceed and how not to proceed. From the past, we learn how to think and how not to think how to speak and how not to speak, what to do, what we should do, and what we should not do, or what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. The past can be a great teacher if we put it in its proper perspective, you see. We should never allow the past to poison
1: us in the present because we don't have to.
0: The only power the past can hold over us is what we allow the past to hold over us, you see. It's so important, brothers and sisters. These are important lessons for us as Christians, as God's people, to learn, to remember, and to be reminded of periodically, and particularly now as we are ending this year, 2021. That is not to say that the past has not affected the present. Of course it has, but we don't live in the past. We live in the present. It's wise for us to recognize how the past has affected the present, because there are too many people who want to ignore how the past has affected the present. They want to ignore how the past has affected the present and yet at the same time, they want to live in the past. That's oxymoronic. No, we should understand how the past affects the present and learn from it so that we can make a better future. But here, when it comes to the past, based upon the analogy of the life and the past of the apostle Paul here, brothers and sisters, our past life of sin And ignorance is a past life, yes, from which we learn as Christians and which we leave in the past, which we should leave in the past, brothers and sisters. You know something? When Paul talks about the past, let me share with you some examples of what he's talking about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me back to the left of your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul the Apostle gives the testimony of his past. Now, he mentions it. He, he gives his resume in Philippians chapter 3, but he also gives his resume in a, in, listen, before the king in a trial before King Agrippa, as he gives his testimony of who he was and what he had done. Speaking of that zeal of persecuting the church, Paul said these things uh, to King Agrippa. Let me give you Some excerpts of it here out of Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, verse one, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. This is Paul talking to the king. The Jews all know the way I lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Here in Paul's defense, a reference to the raising of Jesus from the dead. He goes on though. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. You see, here we have Paul's testimony of what he was before Christ. In addition to the information that he gives us uh, back here in the beginning, of Philippians chapter three. But I want you also, brothers and sisters, to turn from Acts chapter 26 to 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy. You're gonna be turning to the right of Philippians chapter three. Turn a few pages to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter one, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What magisterial and powerful words Paul the apostle utters. A man who had been a violent opponent and persecutor Of the Lord Jesus and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, now preaching the gospel that he once sought to destroy. And right here, telling the people of God one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward or straining toward what lies ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize. I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Putting the past in its place and reaching forward, leaning forward, straining forward, going ahead. Listen. There's a word of wisdom that God wants some of us to hear today. In all of this, your healing is found not in facing backward, but facing forward in the Lord. Your healing is found in Christ and him alone and in his word, which tells us to put the past in its proper perspective and reach forward, go forward. Move forward, put one foot in front of the other and step forward, not backward. So many of you, it's as if you are standing still, waiting on, waiting on healing and redemption from your past. But until you obey God and take each step forward as the Lord guides you, listen to the word of God, listen to the wisdom of the counsel of God from God's people based upon the word of God move forward, step forward, go forward. It is in the obedience of going forward that you will find God granting you the healing that your soul desires. Healing from the past, you see. You can't heal from the past by trying to go back there every day. You can only heal by God's grace from the past by going forward and following him in faith. Remember what Jesus said? If anyone will follow me, he must deny himself, take up the cross daily and follow me in genuine faith and obedience. Well, you know what? This is an opportunity to practice self-denial. Because in your sinful flesh, in our sinful flesh, we too often want to go back into the past and stay there. No, no, no. The cross, the gospel of the cross calls us to the self-denial, the self-denial of the urge and the impulse to turn around and go backwards. No, the cross calls us to go forward. And you know something else? We learn wisdom from this, just, you know what, just from the simple anatomy of the human body. Just that tells us that God wants us to go forward. Let me explain what I mean. Your eyes are in the front of your head, not in the back. Your ears are turned in such a way not only to hear from the side, but to hear forward. And yes, you can hear back, but but they're turned forward. Your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, they're in the front of your head. Your face is set forward in your head, not backward. Your hands are designed and your arms are designed in such a way as to go forward. When you do things, you do them in a forward sense and in a forward motion. It's difficult to do things backwards, you see. Well, that's by design. Your feet are facing forward and your legs are designed to go forward. It's much easier to walk forward than it is to walk backwards. And you can walk a lot further forward without falling and crashing than you could ever walk backward without falling. Why? God has designed your body, your anatomy, for you to go forward. God has designed for your life to go forward. Here's another reality. You can't go back into the past. If you look at your watch and look back to one minute ago, guess what? You're not there anymore, and you and I could never go back to one minute ago, or even one second ago. We cannot. It is not possible. You see? It's God's will that we move forward, that we reach forward, that we strain forward, that we go forward. To make progress in our journey with the Lord. You can't make a you can't make progress on any journey if you don't go forward.
1: If you don't put one foot in
0: front of the other, then how can you ever move on from anything? You see? Yes, it's that simple and it's that important. You may say, oh, it's not that simple. Well, I understand how the human mind works, but God knows the human mind and the human spirit better than anyone because God created every one of us. God created the human mind, the human memory, the human spirit, the human soul. And God knows what the mind, the spirit, the soul needs. So if we obey what his word tells us to do, in obedience to his word, we will find our healing, for obedience to his word will bring the healing that our souls need. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on, I press forward toward the goal. It's as if I'm a runner running a race. No runner can ever win the race by running backwards in the opposite direction. You can only win the race, and even if you don't win the race, you can finish the race only by running forward and running all the way through the tape. As the Lord said to John the Baptist, be thou faithful unto death.
1: Press on. Press toward
0: the goal. Press forward. Go forward. Look forward. Don't live in the past. You are in the present live in the present with the orientation forward toward the future. For forward is the way that God is going. Forward is the way the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, is leading us. He leads his sheep forward to green pasture, you see. And he will lead you forward and lead us forward. Now, God willing, into the next year, twenty. Twenty-two. So as we prepare, God willing and by God's
1: grace to leave 2021 behind, are
0: there a whole bunch of things that you need to leave behind in 2021 or leave behind whatever year it was they happened? And now in 2022, let God give a new clean slate as we go forward in him as i come to a close you know what there may be some of you listening to this message who have struggled with the past with regard to churches with regard to the church and you've struggled with the past and that people uh, who were supposed to be christians did not live like christians people who were supposed to treat you right, in the church did not treat you right, or, or you saw people who called themselves Christian turn out to be hypocrites, or, or whatever happened, and you got turned off. You got turned off toward the church. and Many people like to say, well, I'm, just, I'm not against God, I'm just against the church, meaning that you're holding on to the things that you've witnessed or experienced in the past, and you're using that in the present. To poison your possibility of being right with God in the present. But you see, you cannot let the past poison and problems of people, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, be the hindrance that stands between you and the grace of God in the present. The past is gone The future is not promised, though we move forward toward the future. All you have is now. Listen to me, friend. God has never failed you. And anybody who's ever told you God failed you, they lied. And any thought you've ever had that God has failed you is a lie. God cannot fail. God has never failed you. But certainly people have. But that doesn't mean that salvation isn't real and that there are not people who are genuinely saved and that the church is made up of those who are genuinely saved and born again. And yes, mixed in with those, many who may proclaim to be saved, but are not.
1: But that's no cause to give up on Christ's church, the church for which he died to
0: purchase with his own blood, Listen, I urge you not to keep your eyes on the past, but to put your eyes on Jesus in the here and now. For he is calling you to repentance and faith. He's calling you to repentance and faith by his grace, by virtue of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And for those of us who are Christians, Yes, we need to stop. We need to learn how to stop letting the past reign and rule in our present. Let God reign and rule. For he rules over the past, the present, and the future. Let God have your past. And that's how you can make peace with your past. For God will give you peace with him, peace within, and peace with the past. Let us pray. Our heavenly father, we come before your presence today to thank you for your goodness, your mercy and your grace today. We give you all the praise and the worship that you are the God who is sovereign and reigns over the past, over the present and over the future. Help each one of us, Lord, to make peace with our past and to make peace with what has happened in our past. Not not that we like everything that happened in the past, But then we put everything that has happened to us in the past in its proper perspective and place and leave it there and only carry with us the lessons of love and wisdom and grace that you have taught us from the pain, the problems, the people of our past. Oh, God, we thank you and we give you praise. That you are the God of the past. That you have been God who has reigned over the course of this past year, 2021. And that even when people were out of control, you were yet still in control and you are yet still in control now and seated on the throne for you will reign forever and ever. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We worship your holy name, O God. Help us to live forward. To, to to, to, move forward, to have a forward-facing faith that trusts in you with all of our heart, that leans not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge and surrender to you, and you will guide our path forward. Well, God, we thank you and praise and worship you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in his mighty name, we pray, that your word will accomplish your purpose in each and every soul today, and it shall not return to you void. Amen.